Buenos dias, familia. Good morning, family. My name is Josue, and uh, I have the privilege of serving as one of the elders here at the Grove Church. And if today is the first time you're tuning in with us, uh, or maybe it's the first time you're tuning in with us in a while, let me, let me welcome you today uh, to our online gathering. I know we would much rather be in person, but in God's sovereignty, uh, He deemed it so that we would meet this way today. And so we trust in Him, and we stay faithful to preaching the Word of God no matter uh, the circumstance. And so today, I firmly believe that the message is very timely. It is one on discernment and deception. Uh, maybe in this time you found yourself asking questions like, what should I do? Maybe that's a question that you've had in your mind. What should I do about wearing a mask? Should I wear a mask or not wear a mask? What should I do about the social injustice that's going on right now? Or is there social injustice? What should I do about going out to eat, going on vacation? What, whatever the question you may have, you may be finding yourself asking yourself, what should I do? And so therefore, today's message is incredibly timely because we're talking about discernment. Ultimately, when we think of discernment, I think oftentimes we think about uh, asking this question to God, what should I do? But when we think about it, many times we think about it in terms of, of big decisions, right? We don't think about it the day-to-day -day basis, uh, the day-to-day -day questions, the day-to-day -day actions. We think about very big decisions. And what I think when we come before God with this question, we're really trying to get at is, what is driving you to make these decisions? What is the motivation? What is the motive behind what should I do? Maybe it's your short-term happiness. Maybe it's your long-term happiness. Maybe it's your nationality or ideologies or political views. Maybe it's simply as, well, it just feels right, so I am going to do it. But is it faith? Is it our faith that helps us understand what should we do? Now, if we're being honest, it's probably a combo of many of these things, right? We're not 100% um, holy and pure, and so it's a combination of these things that are wrestling in our hearts for our attention, and so it makes it sometimes difficult to think about what God would want us to do. And so maybe you're saying, well, Josue, should I, should I be thinking about every decision in light of my faith? Like, well, what kind of milk should I buy? Should I buy whole milk or skim milk? You know, is that a decision that is based on my faith? Or whole milk is the answer. Um, no, I'm kidding. Uh, it depends. Uh, or maybe it's uh, what house should I buy? Big decisions, right? Things that feel big, and there's this continuum of really daily decisions and really big decisions. And oftentimes, I think we fall kind of in the, in the middle where if the decision is somewhat big enough, we come before God and say, what should I do? But really what we're asking is, Lord, what should I do to be successful? What should I do to be happy? What should I do so that my life will be easier? And what we're not really asking is, Lord, what do you want me to do for your glory? What do you want me to do for your kingdom? What do you want me to do that the kingdom of God may come to earth as it is in heaven? For you see, the latter questions may require of us things we're not willing to give up. They may require of us a cost that maybe we're not willing to pay. And so we stay very surface level. Lord, what should I do to have success? There was a lady that um, got to very bu busy intersections, this older lady, and, and she's looking at the car zoom back and forth, and she's wondering, how in the world am I going to get across the street? I have to cross the street. And then she's thinking, I can't do this by myself. 
And a gentleman comes up to her and says, hey, can I cross with you? And she says, yes, that'd be great. I, I've been needing somebody to help me cross the street. So he grabs her by the arm, and they begin to cross the street. And, and all of a sudden, they're zigzagging through some cars. Cars are, are zooming out of their way, and, um, and people are honking at them. And they finally make it to the other side of the street. And she looks at the guy and says, man, we just crossed like you're blind or something. And he said, I am. That's why I asked you if I could cross with you. And many times, we are like these two. We have asked the blind to lead us. We have asked uh, people who are well-intentioned, very well-intentioned, but people who are not after the will of God. And so when we follow their guidance, it is like the blind leading the blind. And Jesus would say, those two end up in the ditch. So I have to ask us, what are we going to in order to find God's will? What are we finding God's will in? And can we truly find God's will in every small decision? When we say that we follow Jesus in all of life, from the milk we buy to the house we're in to the job we have, is there a way for us to truly know the will of God? Second Timothy, Timothy 3 would tell us, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training up in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. The answer is quite simple. Yes, there is a way for us to discern the will of God from the smallest of decisions to the greatest of decisions. But I'm afraid that we've made discernment optional when scripture tells us discernment is actually a part of every believer's life. We've made it a lifeline. We've, we've made it like an eight ball. And so, Lord, should I buy this house? Uh, come back tomorrow. Lord, I need an answer today. Lord, will my kids act right today? Highly unlikely. Let me shake the ball again. Maybe they will act right today if I shake it again. And so we come to God not truly wanting to know his will, but we come to God as a lifeline hoping to find our happiness and success in the decisions that we make. And I want to present to you today that discernment is not making the right decision for us to be happy and have great success. Those can be byproducts of discernment. But discernment is simply this, is learning to think about things biblically and acting on it. Learning to think about things biblically and acting on it. And when we do this, then we find the will of God. Then we find great success. But when we reverse the order, when we take other things as priority over the word of God, then we are deceived and we run into the opposite of discernment, and that's deception. Worse than just deception from the outside is deception on the inside. And today we will discover this. You see, our decision-making process reveals our spiritual maturity. The way you address situations reveals your spiritual maturity. Not your extensive theological aptitude, not your ability to think about things philosophically, not your ability to regurgitate the scriptures. No, the way we approach our decision-making reveals if we truly are practitioners of the word. Do we have the Bible in us? Is it in us and in the things that we do? See, Proverbs 14 today will contrast these two things. We'll contrast discernment and we'll contrast deception. We'll contrast the prudent and we'll contrast the foolish. And I think many of us want to believe that we are wise and prudent, but in reality, we're just acting foolishly. 
And this has been my conviction this week as I studied through this is that I oftentimes don't come to God with the very small decisions because I think I've already learned how to make small decisions. And Scripture would tell us that every day is needed. Every day there's a need in me to come before God, even with the smallest of decisions. And today we're going to look at the man who wrote this, Solomon. We will use him as a case study for what we might find if we pursue wisdom and discernment and what happens when we don't. So let's get into it. Verse 8. The wisdom of the prudence to discern his way, but the folly of fools is deceiving. You see, all throughout the Old Testament, when I read about discernment, I found wisdom and discernment hand in hand. And we've learned over our, our course in this series that wisdom comes from the fear of the Lord, from being before God, from being in his word. And therefore, if wisdom comes from the fear of the Lord, then our discernment as Christians will come from being in the word, from being in God's will. And deception is trying to find wisdom outside of God's will. In things that can be really good. Now, let me say that to you again. In things that can be really good, but if they are not of God, then they are deceptive and they lead us astray. Apostle Paul tells us in Ephesians 5.15, Look carefully in how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. See, the wisdom the prudent has shown when he considers his actions, when he considers where his actions lead, and when he considers what is driving those actions. That is discerning our way. Let me read to us 1 Kings 3, 5 through 14. This is our brother Solomon. He's taken over the throne from David. Verse 5, at Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night. And God said, ask what I shall give you. And Solomon said, you have shown great and steadfast love to your servant, David, my father, because he walked before you in faithfulness, in righteousness, and in uprightness of heart toward you. And you have kept for him this great and steadfast love and have given him a son to sit on his throne this day. And now, O Lord, my God, you have made your servant king in place of David, my father. Although I am but a little child, do not, I do not know how to go out or come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people too many to be numbered or counted for multitude. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil, for who is able to govern this great people? It pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this. And God said to him, because you have asked this, and you have not asked for yourself for long life, or riches, or the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right. Behold, I now do according to your word. Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind so that none like you has been before and none like you shall arise after you. I give you also what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that no other king shall compare with you all your days. And if you walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and my commandments, as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days." What would you ask God for if he said you could have whatever you want? Solomon asked for wisdom to discern what was good. And not just what was good, what was good in order that he may lead God's people. You see, when we come to discernment, when we come to thinking about things biblically, it's about asking, Lord, what would you have us do to do your will? Not what will make me happy and make me successful, but what will you have me do 
to carry out your purpose and plan in this earth. And Solomon started off as a 20-year-old king taking over the throne of David in a very humble place where he said, Lord, the way to go I do not know. Please teach me. And yet that vocabulary over years as he got older began to diminish. And I think that that's true for us as well, that over time, maybe when we first have very difficult circumstances, it's really easy to be humble and come before God and say, Lord, what would you want me to do in this circumstance? But as we feel like we're maturing and learning and growing, we feel more capable of making decisions, it's not oftentimes that we come before God and say, Lord, the way to go I do not know, especially on things that we consider minor. And yet those minor things, I think, are the things that ultimately reveal our true spiritual nature. Hebrews 5, 13 and 14 says, For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. You see, Solomon started off very humbly, very meek, in great need of God's guidance. And as he journeyed, he felt like he grew in his wisdom. He felt like he became competent and capable to lead this people. And he turned away from God. And in Hebrews, we're told that, that he was probably, uh, that we as spiritually maturing disciples are needing to go from milk to meat. But Solomon did not. He went from needing God to not needing God and acting on his own accord. And he forgot that the goal is that we would continually mature. You see, your goal and my goal is that we would continually mature into all righteousness of God. This is the responsibility you and I have. And this happens day in and day out by training ourselves constantly to practice to distinguish between what is good and what is evil. This is what it means to discern our ways. But the folly of fools is deceiving. And what happened to, to Solomon? He left his two legacies. One, he is taken over the throne of David. He is tested immediately. He gives a great, um, a great wise uh, judgment between two women who, who had a son die. He, he was able to distinguish, and everybody came to him for his great wisdom, but he forgot about God. And then he became a king who amassed great wealth, a king who had 1,400 chariots, 12,000 horses. He had shields made of gold. He had drinking vessels made of gold. He had a fleet of ships specifically to grab and to take and acquire precious metals from other places. He had 700 wives, 300 concubines, many of whom came from the people. God said, do not take wives from these people. And he ultimately became the last king over the monarchy of God's people because God was so angry that he had turned from his wisdom, from needing God, that he gave 10 of the 12 tribes of Israel to somebody else that was not Solomon. So what happened to Solomon? Deception began to compete with discernment. And this is where we get to verse 12. This is where Solomon gives us these words of wisdom because I believe he was experiencing and seeing this in his life. Verse 12, there is a way that seems right to man, but its end is the way to death. What was the first voice that Solomon faced that was the voice of deception, that was competing with the voice of God? It was this, pride. There is a way that seems right to man. How many times have we come to a place where we look ahead and the path looks straight and we think, man, the end of this road looks really good. It looks really successful. It looks like it has all the things that I want. 
but we've not really come before God and said, Lord, is this the direction you will have me go? And what we're saying is this seems right in my eyes. I think this is good, and it is my pride that is driving me in this direction. And we have not come before God and said, Lord, is this the direction you will take me? And regardless of how good this road may seem, if it is not under the will of God, it will lead to death. And that is what happened to Solomon, is that as he started discerning God's will, he began to lead his people well. He began to lead God's people well, but the older he got, the more wealth he amassed, the more things he acquired, the more people he surrounded himself with, he began to push God kind of aside. He began to see ahead and think, this seems the right way to go. And for the passing years in Solomon's life, it began to become more difficult to hear God's voice because his pride was a competing voice. You see, it seems right to the foolish man. And that is sharply contrasted with Proverbs 3 where lean not in your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your path. You see, when we come before God with our pride, we're, we come before God and we say, Lord, I want you to take me in this direction. Is this your will? But we don't come before God and say, Lord, what is your will? So what's an easy way to come before God and, and take our pride out of the way? Well, think about what you want in any situation, in any circumstance. Do you want to wear a mask or do you not want to wear a mask? Do you want to live in Sugarland or do you want to live in Richmond? What, 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 whatever the circumstance is, come before God and acknowledge, this is what I want. Now I'm going to place that aside. Lord, what do you want? For you see, when we begin to say things like, I want, this would make me happy. I think the I is a competing voice of pride to hear God's voice. But when we remove that out of the picture, it is a lot more easy for us to begin to listen to the voice of God. Now, if God would have it that this, what you want, is his will, then awesome. We continue in that journey. But what if it's not? Are you willing to lay down yourself, your life, your desires, your wants, so that as a discerning Christian, you would do the will of God, regardless of what it may cost you? You see, all great journeys, journeys begin with small steps. But many of us try to come to the journey and look at the big decisions and try to tackle them because we think we're cap capable of doing that, and yet we've forgotten to take the small steps. And it is in these small steps where we learn to listen to God, where we learn God's voice, where we learn to relate to God, where we learn to walk hand in hand with God so that when we approach forks in the road, it is a lot easier for us to know whether to go left or to go right. So let's not be like the people that are prideful and think we know the way, but actually we don't. See, verse 15 will tell us this, the simple believes everything, but the prudent give thoughts to his step. The second voice of deception that we find is people, more specifically comparison in our hearts. You see, when we begin to look around us, when we begin to see things that we like, that we enjoy, that we want, we begin to allow that to be a voice that, that shapes and forms our, our, the way we make decisions. And so my, my, my right is X, Y, or Z. My desire is X, Y, or Z. My people are X, Y, or Z. And so the second voice is that of people, especially comparison to people. Solomon's crew over time became... People who worship other gods, foreign dignitaries, wives who were not of God's people, people who paid tribute to him, people from whom Solomon purchased many of his goods, people who put some of the strange notions like drinking, uh, having golden drinking cups and golden shields in his mind, he began to fall into this thinking. 
You see, when we surround ourselves, and we, we heard this last week about sticky friends, when we surround ourselves and, and expose ourselves and make ourselves the most vulnerable to the people who are not pursuing God's will, we will begin to see the things that they want. We will begin to see their great success. We will begin to see the things that they desire. And unknowingly, we'll begin to want the same things. And what that does for us is it becomes a competing voice in our minds and in our hearts where we can't hear the, vo- the will of God because we want those same things. We almost think we deserve those same things because we've worked so hard. And Solomon became an idolater. He, 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 he actually built, uh, he built altars for idols. And we do the same when we begin to place ourselves in the midst of the counsel of the wicked. Now, am I saying we're not to have unbelieving friends, that we're not to have friends who are not Christian. That is not what I'm saying at all. How else will we take the gospel to a world that is unbelieving? But when we are surrounded by the unbelieving, and we take counsel in the unbelieving, and we desire the things of the unbelieving, and we pursue the same way the unbelieving pursue the things in their lives, then that becomes a distracting voice to discerning God's will in our hearts. But the prudent gives thought to his steps. You see, solid food for the mature is that we would constantly be assessing every step, everything that we are doing. We would be assessing it in our hearts and asking ourselves, is this of God or is this of man and me and my heart and my pride and my comparison? Wisdom will help us prevent being gullible people. Wisdom will help us prevent being people that simply uh, drink milk and become people who eat meat who come before God willing to lay down our lives that he and his purposes would be fulfilled on this earth. And where does this happen, brother and sister? Happens in our hearts. Verse 14, the backslider in heart will be filled with the fruit of his ways and the good man will be filled with the fruit of his ways. When we think of backsliding, maybe it's easy to think that that we're falling back to to some sins that were in our past and and sometimes we look back and think, oh, I'm not really wrestling with that anymore. But what what if backsliding is, is really never taking out the roots that caused that sin in the first place? You see here it says the backslider in heart will be filled with the fruit of his ways. If we don't remove the roots that have caused us to certain to act on certain sins they will surface in new forms of fruit and guess what we will partake of this fruit over and over again and this fruit never satisfies this fruit promises happiness and joy and power and success and we partake of it but it never satisfies and what happens we have to continue to come back to eat more and more and more of that fruit but the fruit of the wise man. The fruit of the godly man is the fruit of the spirit. And a good man will be filled with the fruit of his ways. You see, whereas the backslider in heart desires fruit that will make him more successful, the wise in heart, the person who is prudent in heart, the person who is after the heart of God finds joy in his decisions. Are you finding joy in the decisions you're making or are you finding joy in the rewards you're getting? Let me phrase it to you this way. Are you finding greater joy in what you're getting or are you finding greater joy in what you're giving? Because that will expose what's in our heart. That will expose whether or not it's evil that we're pursuing or if it is the things of God that we are giving it. The joy of the wise and righteous man is that he would do the right thing regardless of the outcome. Is that a marker of you in me? You see, this is the way of life for the Christian. 1 Thessalonians 5 says, See that no one repays Anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. 
Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything and hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Ever wonder what the will of God is? It's quite simple. It's here in the word of God. It's that we would do good to one another, that we would outdo one another in doing good, that we would abstain from evil and that we would hold to what is good and to, when it says prophecies, that we would hold to his word. But where does this happen? It happens in our hearts. You know, he says in verse 19, do not quench the spirit. You see, as we desire all these things around us, not bad things, but when they're not, if they're not primary, they will become an idol for us and we will lose sight of what God has called us to do. But when we are wise, verse 16, we are cautious and we turn away from evil. But a fool is reckless and careless. What marks your actions these days? Is it caution? Is it you taking a a measure of every step that you are taking daily? Or is it you being reckless? Is it you just going at it and just, well, this is what I want to do and this is what I'm going to do? You see, verse 16 tells us that wise people are cautious. They are not reckless. And so in order for us to turn from evil, we have to be able to acknowledge what is evil. And that is where discernment comes in. That is where coming to the word daily and understanding what the scripture tells us daily will affect and change the way we make small decisions and big decisions. But we have to continually be trained in this. A.W. Tozer once said that the red blood cells are like faith. They carry life, giving oxygen to every part of our body. The white cells are discerning in that they spot and pounce upon dead and toxic matter and carry out, of the, out to the drain. In a healthy heart, there must be provision for keeping dead and poisonous matter out of the life stream. As wise and discerning people, we have to make, um, uh, we have to create a space for us to continually be uh, becoming aware of those things in our hearts that are not of God, that are keeping us from the will of God, that are keeping us from living out the will of God in our daily lives. And so to end, I have a couple very practical things you can take away. So what is discernment? The ability to think about things biblically and acting on it. And how do we do this? First thing, my brother and sister, don't trust yourself. Don't trust yourself. Jeremiah 17 tells us, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I, the Lord, search the heart. I try the reins, even to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. The first enemy of discernment is trusting yourself, is overestimating how good and how wise you are. You see, Paul would even say um, uh, in Corinthians that, uh, I know nothing of myself, yet I, that doesn't mean I'm justified. Only God can judge me. See, even Paul didn't at times trust his actions. And so we are to come before God and his word with our heart and say, Lord, is this of you or is this of me? Take self-assessment. Where is your sin deceiving you? Where are you being self-deceptive? What lies are you believing these days? Are these questions that you are asking yourself daily and using these questions to make decisions on a daily basis? One, don't trust yourself. Two, entrust yourself to godly friends. We discovered last week, again, that these sticky friends are the people that are going to point us to God. Seek the counsel of godly, wise, experienced, spiritual, biblically saturated people. These are the people that will help you see all your blind spots. Without these people, you will think you are better than you actually are. I will think I am better than I actually am. But when I'm surrounded by men and women who sharpen me, who point me to God, who who point out the flaws in my life, then it's a lot easier for me to see when I'm acting foolish and when I'm acting in wisdom. 
So seek the counsel. Proverbs 18, 1, whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. A fool takes no pleasure, pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. Are you isolating? Are you on your own? Are you gathering your own thoughts based on your Google research and Facebook research and all these other YouTube videos that you're watching? Or are you coming before the brethren? Are you coming before your family in Christ to ask, well, these are, this is what I'm thinking. What, what do you think? What do you see? You see, the fool only wants to give his opinion, is not willing to listen. But the wise, we will take counsel. We will take counsel and we will apply it. Don't trust yourself and trust yourself to godly friends. And finally, make it your life goal. Make it your daily goal to be in the word. We never graduate from the basics. If we're not in the word, we will be at the mercy of all these other things that are filling our hearts and our minds. But if as believers, we actually come to Scripture daily, we come to the Word daily, we come to God in prayer daily, we will find that His will will be more clear as we take small steps and as we take big steps. As we come before our brothers and sisters in Christ to say, what do you think? This is what I'm seeing. What do you think? Help me see what God would have for me. And so don't neglect to study, read, and know God's Word, that it would be in you and that it would flow out of you as you make decisions. And finally, I leave you with this, Psalm 119.66. I pray that this is a text that you will take with you throughout this week as you try to discern through the midst of so many uncertain things, and that we would come before God and say this and pray this, Teach me good judgment and knowledge, for I believe in your commandments. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. You are good and do good. Teach me your statutes. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, in a world that at times can be very confusing, in a, in a, in a world where we have competing voices with yours, in a world where we want things to be easier, where we want things to be better, where we want things to make us happy, um, your word calls us to be wise. Your word calls us to come before you and place before you uh, our hearts and our minds that are so deceptive and yet so convincing. I pray that as believers, we would be people that we would be able to be humble enough to come before you and say, Lord, I do not know the way to go. That we would be humble enough to come before you and say, Lord, help me make small and large decisions. Help me submit all of my life to you. Help me make decisions that are in accordance with your will and your purpose and your plan regardless of the outcome. I pray that it would be people that would die to pride, that we would die to comparison, that we would die to desiring the evil things of this world, the things that are passive and transient, and that we would submit to the things that are eternal, to our of your glory, that are to bring the kingdom to bear here on earth. Let us be men and women who are able to, in every small step, submit to you so that when the big decisions come in life, it would be free to make them regardless of the outcome because we trust in a mighty and powerful God who's revealed his will to us through his word. So above all things, let us be men and women who are biblical, who think about things biblically and not just think about them biblically, that we would act on them. Let us be men and women who would act biblically. Thank you, Lord, that you've not left us to our own devices, that you've not left us to our own understanding, but you've given us your word to lead our path. Let it be a lamp unto our feet. In your name we pray. Amen.